Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 154, and it's a music memories episode. And today I'm joined by a returning guest here on the show. They are a contributor at Voices of Wrestling. It's John Carroll. Hello, John. Am I a contributor, Andrew? What did I contribute? You've written some reviews. You've written some reviews here and there, I think. I did I did the G1 show with Juice and David Finley. And I really don't remember I doing anything else in <laughs> It may have literally been that one show. But uh yeah, contributor. Oh, I did also do the wrestling Omakase episode where I like took a very obnoxious victory lap about Naito getting into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I forgot. You? A victory lap on Naito? You, of all people? I'm, I'm shocked by this whole thing. It was really surprising. Yeah. But yeah, so those are, those are my two contributions for 2022. <laughs> so I can continue being a, a Voices of Wrestling contributor. Yes, yes. Well, it's actually been a while since you've been on this show here. Um, I think last time you were on was before the pandemic even. That's how long ago it was. Um, wow. But we did see each other at Forbidden Door last year. Uh, in the suite, that was a lot of fun there. And um, but uh, yeah, this is your big return to the podcast. So uh, hurrah! <laughs> hurrah! What, what was my last episode? Was it like dra- did we do Dragon Gate units or something? No, that was your first episode, um, the heel units. Uh, your last one was, I believe, uh, Jamming Around Japan number one. Uh, so uh, that was yeah a couple years ago. And um, since then, yeah, uh, you, were, you, mentioned- you were on you were on Omakaze more recently than that, though. Yeah, uh, last time I did that show, it was the. Uh, the five matches where mm, you pick right, two, right, I pick right. two, and there's a fan vote for the fifth one. So, yeah. Um, but uh, that was fun. It was, yeah. I mean, uh, again, last time you were on here, um, you have since, uh, I guess, shut it down, gone on hiatus. Uh, what, what, what's the state of the podcast at this point? Is it, is it gone for good now? Or I don't or think what? I've done with it for good. I mean, I, I, um, I brought that, I brought it back like what two, two months ago, three months ago, whenever Nitro got in the Hall of Fame, just to do that one episode, um. So I think that's kind of what I'm going to do from now on is like, if I ever really want to talk about something, I can get a guest together really quickly. I'm not like retired, but it's never going to be like, I don't think it'll ever be like a regular thing again. The problem is I travel, I travel way too much now. Um, you know, I remember I brought up, I had a different podcast idea, not even, not Omakase, but like a different podcast idea for like a weekly podcast. I brought it up to Nicole, you know, my partner who, who I was interested in doing this. And she looked at me like I had five heads and she was like, why the fuck would you do that? And she was like, not at all into the idea of me doing a weekly podcast <laughs> again. And I get it. I get it. Cause it's like, it's one of these things that like when you have, you know, um, when you live with somebody else, like podcasting weekly kind of is a burden on them too. Cause it's like, well, you, especially when you live in an apartment, you know, where it's like, well, this is like an hour and a half to, t- to three hours where like, you know, every week where I have to take the bedroom and cannot be bothered, basically. <laughs> and never mind the fact that we, like I said, we travel a lot now and it's like doing our own travel schedule is kind of weird. I did. I've done podcasts on location before. I did it in Japan, I believe twice. I think we did it in Japan. Not So not the third trip, but the other two trips. Um, but yeah, and it's it's fun, but it's also like a lot of. You know, you, you have to bring the equipment with you, the, at least the, the microphone. And you do this microphone I, bring, I have, the the blue snowball. I've gotten every time I try to bring it in a in a like a carry on bag, they always stop me and like take my whole bag apart because they're like, "What the fuck is this?" 
like every <laughs> single time i've taken it with and it's not even just japan because i've taken it with me like uh we did like an on location episode with the g1 in dallas show i think in yeah i remember that yeah 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 and like every time i travel with this microphone the the tsa guy like picks my bag aside and they're like there's something in here uh, they didn't know what the hell it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a microphone, probably. And they pulled it. It's like, this is a microphone? It's like, yes, it's a microphone. So, you know, <laughs> travel. Even, that's an, an added pain in the ass. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Even pre-check people don't like that that microphone for some reason. Um, but, yeah, so I don't I guess it's a very long-winded way to say, I don't know. We'll bring it back when we bring it back, I guess. But I doubt it will ever be a weekly podcast again, especially when it's through the Patreon. It's like, man, that felt like a job. Like that really got to the point where it felt like a, a, I had a second job. So I don't think I'll ever do that again. But yeah, I never considered doing one for this show ever because um, I mean, you know, an episode once every two weeks is more than enough work for me <laughs> with this thing because you know a lot goes into it. And I got real life, I got work, I got stuff I want to read and watch and whatnot. So yeah, it, it'd be too much. It'd be too much for me to do. So I never considered it at all, really. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, it, it was nice making actual money from oh, the yes. podcast <laughs> for the first time. That was cool. But like when I came right down to it, I'm like, I am busting my ass for this money. I'm like, do I really? I mean, I'm not trying to sound like Richie Rich here, but I was like, do I really need this money? I, not, not really. So it's like, <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm good. So yeah, I've enjoyed having my free time back. I will say that. So mm-hmm. well, I mean, you're also busy with hockey as well. Because it's like every night it seems you're either watching on TV or going to MSG or, or whatever. And you're just sending out a thousand tweets about you know this game and that game. And, oh, this O-line doesn't look good. Or, or we got to score here, guys. Come on now. And I just I see these tweets and it's like, you know, I just smile and wave and keep on moving. Because <laughs> it's not my area of expertise at all. But uh, it, it is yours and you love it. So good for you, man. What is funny is, so I had... It, I had like three periods where now I pretty much tweet about hockey and wrestling, right? I guess. Cause it's like, I still tweet about wrestling plenty. I mean, I had a bunch of tweets about this new beginning show. Uh, and I still, you know, I tweet about dynamite and stuff, but originally my Twitter account was a hockey account. So when I went really hard in on wrestling um, in like, what, like the mid 2010s, all the hockey people who didn't unfollow me were probably doing exactly what you did. Scrolling past these wrestling tweets. Like, <laughs> I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. Good for you though. And now I've gone, like you said, more hard on the hockey again. Um, you know, like, like I said, I tweet about wrestling too, but like hockey and wrestling. So I'm sure both the, all the people that follow me for wrestling tweets are like, what the fuck is this? So should I just make two different Twitter accounts? Probably. Am I too lazy to do that? Yes. So I just tweet about hockey and wrestling on my Twitter account. But yeah, I do go to, I, I have a, I have New York Rangers like quarter season tickets and I go, so I go to additional games besides that. And I also am a big LA Kings fan. So having two favorite teams, and now I'm going. I'm always going to like Kings games when they come to the East Coast. So it is a lot of games, but I love hockey. I'm just picturing like 2015 or so, uh, some hockey guy looking at your timeline and being like, "Huh, John's tweeting about this Dan Shoku Dinu fellow. Is he like a an obscure Japanese hockey player that I don't know about? Uh, let me Google him real quick. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure something like that probably happened. I mean, I I would sometimes retweet like particularly nasty looking gifs like usually like joshi ones are the ones that always would get the reactions and i get like uh, like a random hockey person would dm me and be like are these girls really doing like this happened like three times where someone would dm me is like are, is this real and i was like yeah they're, 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 they drop each other on their heads a lot what do you want me to tell you <laughs> so they uh it's always the joshi ones that, that get that reaction but but yeah no no wrestling fans ever dm me like uh are you sure you're okay with what I'm tweeting about hockey? Because <laughs> I do get pretty fired up, but uh, especially about refereeing, because uh, the officiating in the NHL is atrocious. But anyway, uh, not a hockey podcast. So no, 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 no. But um, but anyway, John, uh, we are here to do another music memories episode. And for those that may not know, music memories is when I have on a guest to talk about three memories from the wrestling fandom that are strongly linked to music in some way. It could be a wrestler's theme, a tag team or stable theme, could be a TV or pay-per-view theme, could be from a game, could be from an album, uh, a movie or show about wrestling perhaps, whatever it may be. And it's not about analyzing the music like we normally do in the show. It's more of a casual conversation about these songs and about these memories and whatnot and and why I picked them. Um, It's actually kind of like, John, again, the... 
uh, pick five matches episodes that you would do on Namikaze back in the day, um, where it's not about, you know, we have to review this, we have to review that. No, it's it's about personal choice and personal preference and, and why you like this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's kind of in that spirit, I guess, there, John. Were you inspired by me, Andrew? Is that what you're telling me? Well, listen, I mean, <laughs> I have many influences in my life. Come on now. Okay. <laughs> I always loved doing the five matches episodes. I mean, they were a lot of fun. Nobody listened to them is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, like, I when I look through the listener metrics, they, you know, retro stuff in general doesn't do as well. But, like, I enjoyed them a lot because it's, it, it was a lot of fun just to, like, pick uh, pick matches and talk about why you like them and that kind of thing. And sometimes you do, like, booby picks. Like, I remember when I had uh, Brian on from, uh, God, used to be Street Fight, and I picked uh, Sandman versus uh sabu from november to remember 97 because it's like a it's a famously horrible match but i thought it also kind of fit his old vibe and we had a lot of fun with it because it's like really if you want to watch two people like fall off of ladders repeatedly and like not know what's going on uh probably on many different drugs during that match that is the match for you because it's uh like fall not fall off in a cool way just like they set up a spot because I realized falling off the ladders could sound cool. I, it's not cool, to be clear. <laughs> like they would set up a spot, and the ladder would just kind of like tip over while in the middle of climbing it, and this would happen like I don't know, like fifty times in a fifteen-minute match. So that was a fun one. Mm. Well, uh, let's get to it then, uh, John. What is your first music memory for us? Okay, so my first pick is the CM Punk theme song from back in the day in the Ring of Honor, uh, Miseria Cantare, the beginning by AFI. I picked this pretty much. I was definitely going to pick when you, when you came to me with this whole pitch for this music memories episode. Um, I was definitely going to pick something from my days uh, attending ring of honor, you know, uh, it, mostly in the front row, I should say. So if I ever, if everyone remember what I looked like in 2004, I have many options to, <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if I wanted to pick something from that time, my first thought was to pick uh, a special case theme song from, that period, which was a uh, victim of hardstyle, I believe. But yes. then you informed me that that rotten Joe Gagne got to it before <laughs> I could. That no good scoundrel, who also was attending uh, lots of Ring of Honor shows around the same time up in Boston. I was attending them, of course, um, I don't know, the Northeast Corridor, I guess you'd say. I went to all the, I went to pretty much all the Philly shows, uh, definitely all the New Jersey shows, and then, uh, you know, all the New York City shows. Uh, I made an occasional appearance in Connecticut or Long Island before uh, my my buddy and I kind of decided, you know, are, are these basically are these shows worth the trip? You know, at a certain point, anyone who was following me around at that point could tell you that those those uh, Connecticut and Long Island shows were kind of B shows, and they were the the longest trips we would take basically uh, from where we were at the time in New Jersey. So, you know, they, we kind of ended up doing them less and less, but we did do them for a little while. But yeah, so we went to all those kind of shows and, you know, so if I wasn't going to, I didn't, you, you told me I could have done Victim of Heart Style, but I wanted to do, um, you know, a different song. And, you know, I was a huge CM Punk mark back in the day. I loved punk. It was like, uh, it's kind of funny now because I am definitely not straight edge at all, but uh, you know, as a 17 to 19 year old at the time, I was like, you know what? I tried drinking in ninth grade and almost threw up. That sucked. I'm going to go straight edge now. And that did not last very long until <laughs> after I turned 21. That pretty much was done immediately. But yes, I so I was influenced by CM Punk at the time. Um, 
in that in that regard. So I was like very into this whole straight edge thing. And he just seemed really cool at the time, right? Like he, you know, he has this theme song, which is like, you know, it sounds like kind of dark and spooky, but not like in a corny way. And, you know, he played the entire, the entire thing plays for his entrance, which was like a very unique thing at the time. It's like a, almost, a, I think just under three minutes, the, the song length. So, and he's a guy who, uh, much like someone we'll be talking about later, would let quite a bit of a play before he came out which just made him feel like an even bigger deal. And of course, you know, back in the day, sitting in the front row, um, you know, the barricade slapping as it was, uh, his theme song was by far the most fun to barricade slap in time too. And yeah, just really like, if I hear that song, even though I'm not, you know, it's not really like my style of music in general. Like it's not, I'm not listening to AFI on my off, you know, uh, in a non-wrestling context, but like, if I hear that song, it will instantly transport me to like, you know, all these venues in the Northeast and seeing CM Punk come out and just him feeling like the absolute biggest star in wrestling to me at that point. And, you know, I was really, really behind him in that feud with Samoa Joe. So the other, like the big, if I had to like distill it down, this theme song to one specific memory, it would definitely be uh, being in the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey uh, I believe November 2004. I could have the month wrong. It could have been December. But for the the third Samoa Joe versus CM Punk match after the two 60-minute draws, which was um, a pretty incredible match. I've always thought it was really underrated. Uh, they, you know, they told the story with Punk, like, bleeding a gusher pretty much right out the bat and that kind of being his downfall. Um, you know, I just remember being there thinking that we were going to see Punk win the title, and it obviously didn't happen. Um, but not... Not, I don't remember leaving that building feeling like, you know, we just got screwed or we're, we were angry. But I remember leaving the building feeling like, wow, this is uh, this was quite the match we saw, and you know, Punk just came up short. So it was like, you know, the fact that Ring of Honor booked the match and Samoa Joe being so good too, and they they booked that match in a way where I was a huge CM Punk fan at the time. I really wanted to see CM Punk win, but I wasn't mad about it when I left. Right. Um, I think that says a lot about how good their booking was at the time and how good, you know, Gabe Sapolsky booked that. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I think a lot of companies today would have overthought that and made it either some kind of screw job or some kind of uh, interference or some other kind of bullshit. And it goes to show that sometimes someone can just win clean and it's totally fine. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've said before on the show that I'm doing this big watch of Classic ROH from the beginning onward, and uh, right now I'm up to spring of 05. I just finished a show called Back to Basics, and um, you mentioned, it's funny, you mentioned uh, B-shows in Connecticut. That was a show that was a B-show in Connecticut, so there you go. Um, and I'm have about you been, to watch... Have you been trying to spot my face in the front row? I haven't spotted you yet. No, no, no. Uh, I don't <laughs> think so anyway, but... Um, but I'm about to watch uh, the infamous Best of American Super Juniors show, oh. actually, with uh, <laughs> with good old uh, Dragon Soldier B. Yep, I was there and, and I was uh, uh, at Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, Miseria Cantare, um, I mean, this is still pre-Summer of Punk. He's doing the Jimmy Rave feud and all that, so he still has the song. But at this point, he's also wearing the short trunks, and he's got some more muscle mass on him. And it's like, yeah, WWE is going to come calling... Real soon here, because, you know, he's no longer this, you know, dumpy-looking guy in basketball shorts. He looks like a guy that could be actually presentable and on TV. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fun just to see Punk's, you know, literal and figurative growth and change over time as ROH goes along there. Where, yeah, Joe versus Punk the year before, it's all about respect and honor and all that. And he's a man of the people. He's a, a good guy. He's a baby face, a real fan favorite. And he's in the basketball shorts, and then, you know, a few months later, and he's in the trunks, and he's beating Aries for the belt, and all of a sudden, it's the summer of punk, and he's Mr. Bad Guy, ultimate bad guy, you know, signing his WWE contract on the belt, <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's such a drastic change from not that long before, and and John, you got to be there live for a lot of that stuff. That's it's pretty cool, I think, yeah. Yeah, when I pick two of these things, I'm like, I am going to flex very hard on how many uh live shows i've seen uh, how many shows i've seen in person that were great because yeah the 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 ring of honor stuff i mean pretty much from i'm trying to think what my first so my first show was 2003 
It was that show in Philly with the Brian Danielson, Paul Rundin, two out of three falls match. I think it was Epic Encounter. What's the name of it? I think. I believe but so. Don't, yes. Don't hold me to that. But yeah, that was so. That was my very first show, um, and I wasn't like I said quite going to every Philly show because I, I remember I did not make it to the uh, Samoa Joe Christopher Daniels Philly show that I think was Glory by Honor in September that year, and I was mad about it because I thought Daniels was going to win the title, which. Did not happen, obviously. Samoa <laughs> Joe, for those who don't who don't know, did not in fact lose the Ring of Honor World Title in September two thousand three. But yeah, I remember thinking he was going to win that World Title, so I was like, I was uh, pissed I wasn't there for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can think of like like there's two distinct eras of punk with this theme song for me. There's the punk that was there when I first became a Ring of Honor fan. Uh, you know, who is this heel with the Second City Saints. And, you know, when I got there, you know, when I first started going to shows, he was shooting with Raven. And yep. I was there at the Rexplex for that famous dog collar match. And, you know, I was, I'm kind of a, I don't know if I still am. I guess I am. I don't know, a heel fan. I, I always, I've always liked heels. So, um, so I was into punk immediately, when, uh, even as a heel. And, you know, obviously, the, so you have that distinct era. And then you have like 2004 punk with this theme song into, 2005 before the term where he you know is now like this elder statesman in, in ring of honor especially after they lost all those guys in the tna split and you know he's a baby face um so that that to me is like another distinct era with this theme song and then obviously when, once you get to summer of punk like you said he's not he's uh that's when he starts switching to cult of personality which ironically would be a theme song for like almost the rest of his career you know <laughs> i mean besides his early WWE stuff with the Whatever the fuck that song. This was. fire yeah. burns. Yeah. There you yeah. go. But uh, but obviously he switched back to cult of personality in, in WWE, and he used cult of personality the entire time in AEW, except for one match. Uh, which remember when like he used this song for the dog? It was with the dog collar match with MJF, I believe. Yep. And like some absolute corn cobs on Twitter were like complaining about it, and like why didn't they put together a video package to explain the theme song? <laughs> and it's like okay. I'm like, one of those things where I want to be like, this obviously sounds very elitist, but like, I'm sorry you weren't there for when CM Punk was really cool. Cause I, I don't think he was that cool on AEW at all. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, uh, you know, I, there were a lot of people that really liked his AEW run and I thought his AEW run was fine. Uh, that's probably a little hard. I thought it was good, but I don't know if living through the Ring of Honor stuff as, as a comparison point, maybe a little more jaded on it, but like he didn't come off as cool to me the way he did in Ring of Honor. And it's really hard to go from being like, you know, the cool underground guy to now like the old guy coming back after, you know, whatever it was, eight years or nine years. And now kind of being this established figure, um, you know, at the top of AEW. I mean, he basically was the rock, you know, like the guy blocking, you know, younger guys, just the way Rock was for him in WWE. And, you know, it's just a very, he, so he didn't click with me in the same way, even though I did like, you know, he had quite a few good matches and the way he, I mean, the way he left the company to me, I, I don't know. I, I was uh, very much on the side of the elite in that whole thing. But these are, these are better, better memories, I guess, of better times when yes. CM Punk was cool, <laughs> but he wasn't weirdly eating cupcakes while screaming about Target or whatever the fuck. Uh, the, you know, d- definitely CM Punk's best period of his career to me. I mean, he did some good stuff in WWE too, I guess, but it's it's WWE, so what can you really do there? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, you went to all these shows. Did you buy the DVDs of the shows that you went to when they came out? I had I had so many DVDs for a long okay. time. I, I lost them in a move, so they're either in my dad's storage unit or they're gone. So. Um, but yeah, I had, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I bought every show, but I bought a lot of shows. So I definitely had a lot of DVDs. They, they also was a period. I don't know what, I don't know when this was somebody who, uh, has a better memory than me who used to go to these shows can probably tell you there was a period where they raised the price of the front row tickets and they started giving you a free DVD with your ticket huh. to justify this. I don't, I don't know if the, if it was like for a long time. And it may, maybe it was a free shirt. It was a free something. I thought it was a DVD, but I could be wrong. Um, so I so that would have been another source of DVDs. And then they also ran a lot of like buy two, get one, and buy three, get one stuff. So I that would be another way 
I would get a lot of DVDs at the time. So, but yeah, I had a ton of DVDs. All those moments of Gabe Sapolsky yelling, Dangerous! Just <laughs> at your beck and call there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay. That was number one. Uh, John, what is music memory number two? Uh, so music memory number two is a song by the name of Dress for Excellence Pyramid uh, by Yohei featuring Aki. And it was the theme song of Dragon Gate's Blood Warriors. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. this one you know i i was originally like when i first started with wrestling you know i was a dragon gate writer uh which sounds weird now because i haven't really watched dragon gate in quite a few years and haven't obviously haven't written about it but and my very first podcast was uh open the voices uh you know on the voice dressing network so i was someone who you know followed the dragon system very closely uh through the two from i'd say like 2002 like when i first got into japanese wrestling it was you know pretty much uh, I was a big Toriumon fan, you know, at the time, you know, getting the uh, original like Toriumon versus T2P tapes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was following along with the Dragon System through from about like 2002. Uh, when did I get fall out of it? Probably like 20, 
I, I'm really always bad at estimating, like 2016 or 2017, maybe, maybe even later than that, but somewhere around. Like whenever the whenever the the heel stable changed um, uh, from Mad Blanky to or from Berserk to something else, I think that's when I lost track of it. So I don't even remember now the name of the the, the new heel stable. I believe it was Antius. Uh, yeah, or thank Antius you. or whatever it was. So, yeah. so I can figure that out in two seconds. When the hell did Antius start? Let's see. Because remember, that's when I really lost touch. January 13th, January 13th, 2018. Okay, so I guess it was early 2018 when I really stopped watching Dragon Gate. Uh, I'm probably going in that direction already, but that's like a very clean split. But yeah, so I was a fan of Dragon Gate for quite a long time. I watched, you know, a lot of the, a ton of the shows. And this theme song was the theme song for Blood Warriors. So uh, to give a little Dragon Gate history... Uh, Blood Warriors was formed in the at, towards the end of 2010 uh, into the start of 2011, and they were, um, you know, they were the this amazing like uh, top heel stable that kind of came together as a union of two stables. So you had the remains of the like what you would call the heel stable lineage at the time. Uh, where kind of each heel stable like bleeds in the next one. So the stable by the name of Deep Drunkers, yes, Deep Drunkers, they had lost a unit must have span match earlier in 2010. I, I don't remember the exact date, probably September or August. Um, and at the same time, Naruki Doi had turned on uh, the World One group to join up with them, but they said they didn't need a name at the time. It just became Team Doi. You know, it was kind of like a... Um, you know, as like a temporary name. And Doi would constantly hint that they were building something bigger and, you know, they, they were gonna, they were, he said, he would say like a name isn't necessary right now. So he would kind of hint that they were building something bigger, you know, in the, in the near future. At the same time, there was a unit called the Warriors, which was Shima's unit. They were basically baby faces. Maybe you could make a case. They were like a little more neutral, but they were definitely on the baby face side. And, you know, this had like this had members like uh, you know Dragon Kid who had never been healed before, and you know guys that had not been healed in quite a while like Gamma, or at that point maybe had been healed pretty recently. I don't know. I'm trying to do this all from memory. The point is uh, the Warriors unit were not heals, and towards the end of 2010, you you would have like these random masked men appearing throughout Dragon Gate. It was very wacky. But it all built to the to a point where these masked men who had been seen in the same place as warriors, I don't know how they turned out to be warriors, but these masked men all showed up uh, at one point. They take off their masks, and it's the group of Team Doi and the Warriors, and they merge together to form the, the unit that became known as the Blood Warriors. Um, and the theme song itself, it's just like it's a very memorable song to me because it's basically two separate theme songs mashed up together but it sounds so good together that like it sounds like that was the intention all along i think we talked about this on the heel unit themes episode where i'm just like i don't know how they did this where they had they took two songs the warriors theme song which was just like this instrumental and this song called glitter uh by the same artist uh yohei featuring uh aki and like they combine them together to make one song which is this song dressed for excellent pyramid but like this song sounds so good on its own that it doesn't sound like a mashup so i don't know do you have any theories on how they pulled this off andrew did, did they already have dressed for excellent pyramid done and then put it in because <laughs> that would be incredible because the warriors started like 2009 or something i, I don't so. know if it goes that deep i mean <laughs> the intricacies of dragon gate are well known of course but i don't know if it goes that far um but uh, but yeah, I had not heard this song in a few years, and then I listened to it recently, and I was like, oh yeah, this song is really, really awesome. Like, <laughs> I should listen to this a lot more. Um, I mean, I still have no idea what Dress for Excellence Pyramid means, but... <laughs> well, they used to, they used to form a pay- so when they first turned, like, revealed themselves uh, as, like, the new top, the new heel stable, they, they uh, merged together. For some reason, they all, like, formed a pyramid together, like a human pyramid uh. Okay. So that's the, that, so like the the pyramid kind of became their thing. 
so like, they made, they would make a human pyramid constantly because they had a lot of members obviously so they could do a human pyramid because they were two units together and it kind of so like this the other reason why i picked this besides the fact that it's just a really dope song is it's just it's my favorite period of dragon gate it's just such a cool period where so this you this mega heel unit comes together um and like it evolves throughout 2011 where they they kick some people out that don't really fit the heel uh leaning like they kick out like a dragon kid people anyone knows anything about dragon gate i guess would probably be like Dra- dragon kid was a heel not for very long he, he got kicked out pretty <laughs> quickly and you know so they kicked out guys they forced other stables to like react to them basically and they made all these other stables disband and then eventually come together to form their own mega unit junction three and then junction three and blood warriors feuded for the rest of 2011 it was just such a cool period of dragon gate with like these two mega armies just like going at it um and it leads into another cool period too and when, when uh blood warriors becomes mad blanky which is another great uh heel unit but yeah it's just it's one of these periods where i can like I can hear this theme song and I can see them all come out in my head. And I can think of so many great matches from that period, like uh, Masaki Mochizuki versus Akira Tozawa for the Open the Dream Gate in, in 2011, which was like an amazing match. And, uh, you know, just all sorts of stuff from that period. Like I said, like the when Shima and Ricochet challenged for the Open the Twin Gate. Oh, no, Dorian Ricochet, I think, actually, for the Open the Twin Gate. Or oh, no, I'm confusing. No, it was Shima and Ricochet. I, got it, I had it right the first time. Dorian Ricochet was later on but yeah i mean it was just a, a really really uh a really 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 fun period of dragon gate and you just had no idea you know what was going to happen next um you know leading up to the formation of junction three and that just became this like you know these two mega armies going head to head it was just a lot of fun so mm-hmm. yeah i always hear like oh the blood warriors junction three feud is legendary it's a legendary dragon gate feud and i think i've seen a few matches from it here and there but not the whole thing, obviously, which you know can be tricky. I think with uh, you know Dragon Gate or Japan in general, where if you don't have a compilation or if like the full archive isn't on a service somewhere, you know full feuds from back in the day could be tough to find. Um, I mean, nowadays for like New Japan World, if you want to watch the Okada Tanahashi matches or Okada Omega or Night to Ibushi or whatever, it's all up there. But the older stuff from like you know. 10, 15 years ago or onward can be tricky to find if you don't look hard enough to get it or if you don't have access to someone who has it themselves. So, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of it's on the Dragon Gate network. I'm sure that there are, you know, people who have it on like DVDs or Google Drive or whatever. But um, but just, you know, in general, if you don't put in some effort to find this kind of stuff, you know, you might be out of luck there, John, I guess. So the, the match battle I was talking about was Shima and Ricochet it's when they beat Dragon Kid and Pack. From Junction Three for the Open that's the one of the matches I've seen. Yeah, awesome yeah. match, awesome match. Yeah, that's from Kobe World that year because I I was confusing with a Dragon Kid with a uh, Ricochet and Nuki Doi, and they would be because they were both in Blood Warriors, but they would not become a team uh, until they were both in I think World One International. So later, a Splinter Group later on because the units of Dragon Gate, everybody once especially once you're out of it, it's like oh it's this this of... stuff just it's <laughs> it, it it flows like a river, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is tough. Yeah. But yeah, so this is just a really cool song from, you know, one of my favorite periods in a wrestling promotion. And I, I don't know where you would go to watch it all either, honestly. I haven't watched it all in a long time. I, there were like multiple people who had um, Dragon Gate archives. Uh, one of them works for the company now, so I doubt he still has it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that used to be a big source. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, you know... Actually, no, he would want to ask. I'm sure Mike Spears has it all. Likely, yeah, likely, yeah. Um, I think someone else I might know has it too. Uh, but um, but anyway, uh, time now for the third and final music memory. John, what do you got? Uh, so this is a song. I, I hope everybody's sitting down for this because they're going to be really stunned. <laughs> uh, I have this song, Stardust, by God, Kaz, Kazin. I should know how to pronounce this. Kazin, I think. Uh, but it's Tetsu and I don't seem everybody. Very shocking. <laughs>
yeah, so again, I, I'm sure everybody at home was like, John picked Tetsuya and Naito's theme? What the fuck? But yes, I did pick Naito's theme song. Andrew, when I picked this one, were you, were you very surprised? I'll be honest, when I thought of you for this, the first thing I thought was, John's going to pick Naito's theme for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, within a second I thought, John's going to pick Naito's theme, absolutely. No no shocker there. <laughs> did you think the other, do you think you do the other two too? Did I surprise you with the other two, or did you just... I assumed you were going to pick an ROH one just because I know you went to so many shows back in the day. So that was one that was also kind of obvious to me. And I figured you'd pick another Japan one as well. Um, so, yeah, none of these picks are shocking at all. This is all in line with who I know you to be. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I thought about doing Tai Chi theme too because, again, I'm very well known. That's another one I thought of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I love that song. And it's, uh, you know, I just didn't want to do two, two modern New Japan ones, I guess. But. Um, but yeah, Naito's theme song. I mean, look, besides the fact that he's my favorite wrestler ever and all that stuff, this song is just a banger. I don't know who the hell doesn't like this theme song, but like you've been in arenas when this theme song hits. I mean, I know I've been at shows with you. Oh yeah. Like the, your, the MSG. Song. MSG. Like, yep. The MSG. Yeah. Like when that theme song hits, when that like, you know, note starts, then you get the explosion. Like there's nothing cooler. It's such a cool theme song when you're there live. It's maybe the best ever. But, and then obviously Naito waits for su- such a long time to come out. And, you know, by the time he's coming out, the song is really like in full swing. It's just one of the coolest theme songs of all time. I just, I don't think there's any, I mean, do you disagree <laughs> about Naito's theme song? Uh, not really. I mean, it's an amazing song. Yeah. You know, it's, it's up there with Okada's theme and Tanahashi's and, and Nakamura's or whatever. And just, just so many, you know, high quality iconic new japan themes of recent years and 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 this is one of them of course i mean uh we've heard it a million times as well so it's iconic in that sense too but but yeah this is just a, a great great song and what's amazing to me is they actually wanted to change it when he turned heel i mean i assume you've heard it They're, they released that stardust tranquilo mix yep 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 and i'm assuming that's what they would have changed it and the tranquilo mix is a cool song it's like a cool, you know, I, I don't mind that it exists really as a cool little remix, but it definitely should not have replaced it. They made the right call not to use it as his theme song because it just would have, it, it, you know, he, Naito, I believe he said the reason why they, he didn't want his theme song to change is because he always viewed himself as like being the same person when, as he was as Stardust Genius, you know, when he, he basically wanted to show that he was still the same person as, you know, even after LIJ formed. And I just can't imagine coming out to anything else, you know? So, because the theme song even kind of works for him as a heel when he was like as most heelish because it has that that weird period where it gets kind of quiet, you know? And even if like you were mad or whatever that like, like let's say you were really into Okada at the time when Naito beat him for the title, which I'm going to talk about more in a second. But you know, that like, you know, I'm talking the part I'm talking about, like it kind of works as like the heel just won. And, you know, now you're disappointed, you know, there's like a very downbeat part to it too. That just kind of always worked even, even for like a heel. But obviously like when it comes to the theme song, besides it being an awesome theme and all that, like, you know, the memory it brings up for me is being in Sumo Hall to see him win the IWGP heavyweight title for the first time in April 2016, and then being in Sumo Hall again the next year to see him winning the G1 Climax in 2017. And, like, you know, there's just, like, the feeling I had those nights and, like, you know, being in that building when that music hit and the the people just being, like... It's one of those things where, like, I don't know if I'll ever be in a crowd again that reacts to a person the way they reacted <laughs> to Naito on those two shows. And not even just Naito, because Kenny Omega too on the, the G1 final, like felt like, I mean, th- I've talked about this a lot, but like Kenny versus Naito felt like you were there for rock versus Austin that night. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. It felt like the two hottest wrestlers, like at the peak of their powers and here they are, and they're going to fucking fight to see who wins the grade one climax. I mean, it, it felt like I, I really was like this must have been what it felt like to be there for like Rock versus Austin at WrestleMania 17 because it felt like the exact same thing to me. The, the crowd is so into these two guys; they would like if these two wrestlers told each had told some of their fans to like get in the ring and die for them. Some <laughs> of them might have done it. 
So that's like the connection they had with the with the people in that crowd. So like you know, this theme song takes me to that moment instantly. It takes me to because uh, obviously it plays after he wins too. Like it takes me to Naito throwing that IWGP belt in the air and like just watching that being amazed. And it takes me to Naito grabbing that G1 Climax trophy the next year and acting like he's gonna throw it <laughs> into the crowd, which was one of the craziest. Moments. I just remember being I was up in the balcony for both those shows. I way better seats, I should say, uh, to the G1 final in 2017. We were like front row balcony versus like quite a bit high up for the for the title match, and. You know, like when he when he threatened to throw that trophy, I was basically looking straight down at him, like getting ready to take this and just fling it in the crowd and be like, oh, my God. Because, like, obviously he wasn't going to do it. But in the moment watching him do it, it he's going to kill someone like, with that thing. What are you doing? <laughs> it looks like he's going to fucking do it. Like he did it perfectly. But, yeah, I mean, uh, just just incredible moments, uh, incredible matches. I was, you know, I've heard it live many other times, too. I, at MSG with you, um, Dominion. Uh, 2019 when he won the Intercontinental title from Kota Ibushi and that like I, one of the craziest matches of all time honestly um, you know and I'm sure I will hear it again live since I'm gonna uh, I'll be be at, be attending Wrestle Kingdom next year so you know I'm very excited to finally hear his theme song live again but yeah I mean it's a it, it's just one of the all one of the all time best theme songs for one of the all time best wrestlers uh, my favorite wrestler and you know, it just brings me back to being in Japan and you know seeing these incredible matches. So, yeah, I mean, those memories are always going to be a lot stronger because you were there live, and not just watching it on TV or on your computer, or whatever. Like you were in the building there, among that crowd, in that atmosphere, in that just whole energy. It's like an extra emotional bump for the whole thing. Um, I mean, you know, as much as I loved All Out and Forbidden Door as shows in and of themselves, they were great shows, being there live for those two shows just puts it over the top as, like, these, you know, amazing wrestling memories that'll have and cherish forever. Um, I mean, you know, being there for All Out and just seeing that Lucha Brothers Young Bucks cage match and the Cole and Danielson debuts and... Uh, Suzuki confronting Moxley and, uh, uh, you know, Punk's first match back against Darby Allin and, uh, you know, Forbidden Door the next year, you know, Shibata coming out to confront Osprey and uh, Okada's coin drop hitting and the crowd just exploding, you know? The unfortunate unfortunate part of Forbidden Door for me is uh, because we were in a suite with an open bar, I remember (laughs) that much. (laughs) My memory of that is much worse than my memory of these uh, Naito matches. But yes. From my vague, fuzzy memories, I remember having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where as great as something is when you're watching at home, it can be even greater when you're there alive. Um, or worse. You know, it can be a lot worse if the show sucks or whatever. But that's the risk you take when you go to a show. Um, and lucky for us, you know, with your Japan shows, John, and with uh, All Out and, and Forbidden Door, those were great shows. So um, our luck held out for those two ones, for sure. Have you ever been to a bad live show? That's a great question. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I haven't been to that many just in general. Um, so... I can, I've been to a, a shitload, and I can tell you, I can give you one rapid because it really even I used to go to like a lot of um, WWE pay per views like in the in the two thousands. So I'm sure I saw some like uh, subpar shows like Survivor Series two thousand six in Philly. I remember it was not that great. That was the uh, the Batista Booker T or King Booker world title i think main event you know but like i don't have like negative memories of that show because it was still fun it was still a live show you know the only show i could think of at the top of my head that i hated every second of uh besides like some random like smackdown tapings that were pretty stupid uh but like the only big show was judgment day i believe 2004 whichever one was undertaker versus mr kennedy as the main event or with the the last ride match. That was not Judgment Day. That was oh, it was no mercy, no, no mercy, no mercy. Oh yeah. five, I think. Oh six, maybe. Oh, five. you sure it's oh five? Let's say, uh, no mercy. I think it was oh six. No, no. Okay, I I had the match wrong. No mercy, two thousand four. Undertaker versus JBL last. Ride. Yes. Okay. There you go. That's right. Okay. That's right. So that that show was at the. Continent, the old Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, which 
no longer exists, by the way. Thank God, because the arena was a piece of shit. Um, but yeah, that was uh, JBL beating The Undertaker in a last ride match for the WWE title was the main event with uh, Heidenreich, I believe. Yes, that's favorite. right, that's right, yeah. Um, the semi-main event, Charlie Haas, Miss Jackie, and Rico defeating Don Marie and the Dudley Boys. What a, what a, what an encounter. Uh, John Cena versus Booker T, the finals of the U.S. title best of seven. Went ten and a half minutes. Was not very good. Big Show beat Kurt Angle. Whoop de doo. Uh, Kenzo Suzuki and Rene Dupree beat Rey Mysterio and Rob Van Dam in nine minutes to retain the tag titles. The best match of the night got again only ten and a half minutes. Billy Kidman against Paul London. Uh, Spike Dudley beat Nunzio to retain the Cruiserweight title. Again, only eight forty four. And the opener. Eddie Guerrero up against, of course, the legendary Luther Reigns. That's where they put Eddie Guerrero in with, folks. Uh, and that match got 13 whole minutes. So, yeah, that show was miserable. It was horrible. <laughs> like, everything sucked. It either got not, either like, it didn't get, like, okay. So, like, Kidman versus London could have been really good. They gave it 10 and a half minutes. Why did JBL versus The Undertaker need to be 20 minutes long? Especially if it's going to end with, like, a fucking hide and right run and finish. Like, this is like, this show was like designed to be horrible. It really felt like that felt that way. So like, I don't know. Horrible show. It's the only show I could think of at the top of my head where I'm just like, I hated it. It was miserable. And, um, you know, I really wish I hadn't gone for the most part, even like mediocre live wrestling is still live wrestling, you know? So it's still fun to a certain degree, but then again, I, I haven't gone to a WWE show since, uh, 2009. So maybe if I had gone to more <laughs> more of these WWE pay-per-views since then, I would have a lot more negative uh, live. It'll balance out the scales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but um, all right, well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, John, thank you so much for being here. I know it was a long time coming, but uh, we got you back on, and this is just a lot of fun, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Uh. I don't know. I don't have anything to plug <laughs> at all. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to read uh, why the fuck didn't you call this penalty ref like a million <laughs> times per week. So there you go. And uh, Music of the Met is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great shows on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Met. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich voicesofwrestling.com slash discord for all discussions and comments voicesofwrestling.com slash donate for any donations uh, just click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat if you donate hey thanks so much you're awesome and of course rate review subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify and many other places John thank you again and I'll see you around see you around buddy alright for John Carroll I'm Andrew Rich and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.